Welcome back, everybody, to the Let's Get Wicked podcast, where we talk about nothing but the tabletop game line villainous from Ravensburger. I am your host, Joker Jonesy, here, and today I am joined by my wonderful friend, Headmaster Ditto. Ditto, how's your week been? Has it been exciting? Uh, it's been an absolute just mess as of the past 24 hours. Oh, no. Do, uh, I, do you need a digital hug? Uh, I, I'm okay. Uh, I wouldn't say everyone else in the country's okay. Oh, yeah. Uh. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that a smidge. <laughs> um, we are also joined by, um, our, a, a new, a new face here. Um, goes by Zachary in our Discord channel. Hello, Zachary. How are you doing this evening? Well, Hello, I'm doing all right. You doing okay? Uh, you just call me Zachary. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I'm glad you're joining us. You're going to have some great insight for what we're going to be talking about today. Mm, glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, too. Um, a few housekeeping things, everybody. Uh, first things first. Yes, our country is in turmoil. Uh, please make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, make sure you wash your hands. You know, take care of your loved ones and all that stuff. You know, we like to be talk about fun and games on the show, but in all reality, I also want to make sure you're all safe. So just... Make sure that if you need to, put the tabletop games down and take care of yourself. Um, that is the most important thing. Uh, now, with that being said, off to sad stuff. Um, we do have an exciting announcement um, that is going to be fun for all of you. So believe it or not, next, the we next week's episode is going to be our 10th episode. Something I was not expecting us to really achieve. Um, it's really exciting. And we want to do something special. So, Headmaster Ditto and myself, on the 21st, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 o'clock for all you Pacificers out there, and for all of, all of you else in between, we will be doing a live Let's Get Wicked show on twitch.tv slash joker underscore jonesy, where we're going to be there live with you all, answering your questions, and just hanging out for about two hours. I hope you're all looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, so that is the El Plano for that. Uh, I hope you're all looking forward to it. Uh, ditto, I hope you're not going to be too tired. Uh, I'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be go. fine. I'm going <laughs> to make sure I drink some soda. Um, no, that's uh, right, right in my good time. Good time. Uh, hopefully the chat doesn't get too crazy. If not, I think we're just going to you know, answer all the real life you know, questions and answers and all that stuff. Um, they're probably going to know more about me than they should by the end of the night. But it should be a fun <laughs> show. So come hang out with us. The more of you that are asking questions and everything, the more fun it will be. Um, all right. I think that's enough housekeeping. Let's get into today's topic, which I can't. I don't know if we're all looking forward to. I know Ditto's been antsy. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, but uh, today's show is talking about what I call the Fate Wars. Now, to get into why we're talking about this today on today's show, um, the reason for it is we've had lots of discussion on our Discord channel about um, fading, how much you should be fading, depending on like, the enjoyment of overall like being faded to death. Um, I've been part of matches as well as been the player who faded incredibly constantly to the point where the other player couldn't do anything. But I've also been on that side where someone has eaten my lunch, and as a Scar player, you know, I've gotten to the point where there was nothing but three Hakuna Matatas and a stick. 
you know, sitting in my fate, fate pile. Um, it is a not a fun time. And we want to talk about today kind of the balance of fading, how we kind of perceive fading. And that is actually why we have our friend Zachary on here today, because I believe Zachary has a very interesting insight about how he approaches fading. So, um, without further ado, kind of my well, let's do our first thoughts about like um, very general. How much do you think you should be fading every so many turns? Let's start. Let's start with our friend Zachary over here. Uh, generally, you should be. It, it depends a whole hell of a lot on what character you're playing as and what your objective is and where you're in the objective. But I would say if you want a number, it should be regularly every two to three turns. Okay. Ditto, do you agree with this? Uh, I definitely agree that it's super situational in terms of who you're playing and who the opponent's playing, especially. But I don't know about two or three turns. I think you can get away spacing it out a little bit more, at least in the early game. Um, I think there is a certain inflection point with most of the characters in the game where, you know, they've gotten so far into their strategy at that point that, yeah, you could probably do well to fate them a little more regularly, but... Uh, I'll jump in one second, because I disagree with the point you specifically mentioned on early game. That is when that you actually should be fading the hardest. It's actually later in the game when you should be concentrating more on your objective. And the reason is that there are a lot of villains, specifically like um, Prince John, who have much more punishing fate decks at the beginning. You know, you roll a Robin Hood in turn one or two, that's going to be huge. Whereas in the late game... It's not really going to matter. You can delay him with maybe one turn with a steal from the rich. I mean, that's a fair point, and Prince John's a really good example of that, but how many times have you seen Maleficent or Cruella or Hades or any of these other characters whose fate decks are super reactionary? Like, fading them super early is not always a good thing just because all the cards you want to have around are all suddenly all in the discard pile. Is my main concern. But, I mean, you're right. Those are good decks to point out because they're reactionary and a lot of it's about timing. But there's also the value in fading and just having heroes covering up spaces on the board. There is a huge balance. I've, I've been more... Lately, more of my games, I've been trying to be a little bit more aggressive on the fate, but not to the point where it's like every other turn. Uh, it kind of depends on the character. I do agree on both fronts. Um, I think my biggest issue when it comes to aggressively fading is that, so like Zachary pointed out, like putting heroes on the board, if you just got rid of the text on the card, all right, we just got rid of all the effects on the card, placing the hero down at any location is already doing you huge detriment. And the reason for that is that it's covering up actions that the, the player needs to take in order to achieve their goal faster and give them the common theme of the show, options. Um, you kind of you brought up Cruella, and Cruella is a perfect example of a character where I don't necessarily think her heroes are super strong, except for maybe like Pongo and Perdita. But those are also, like you said, super situational. But even by just playing heroes at her really strong spots, which are like Hell Hall and the Ratcliffe House, um, that on its own is pretty brutal. And if you just even taking into consideration the effects of those heroes, it can get pretty nasty. Um, so it's kind of like, I, I, I realized that this was a problem because when I was playing Scar and also trying to learn him, there was two folds to this. One, my opponent would fate me to the point where I couldn't do anything, where there was heroes at every location. 
And even within my mass amount of allies, I couldn't destroy them, all of my heroes enough and fast enough to make it worth my while. But then when I was thinking, oh, I should fate every turn, what would happen was, and my girlfriend can attest to this, where I would fate like almost every other turn to the point where she couldn't even play the game. And the thing was is that I wasn't even making any progress towards killing Mufasa at that point either. It was just more of the fact that let me slow them down to the point where they're to a crawl and then I can like play solitaire for a bit while they're just trying to struggle to get back on their feet. Um, there was also a match on the YouTube channel, I believe, where I'm playing against my friend Knox, where he was playing Maleficent and he was actually doing the strategy of going back and forth between the two spaces. And that was rough um, for those of you who, have saw, who saw that match. So I think it's a weird balance. Um, but the thing is, is that, and we're about, to, we're about to get into this, is that the only way you really interact with people in this game are condition cards and fading. So I don't know. It's a tough call, to say the least. What do you guys think? Yeah. Um... I, this is a really tough subject to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's a very. Um, the entire thing is, like you kind of mentioned this, the main point of the game, or really any sort of entertainment media for that matter, is to have fun with it. Right. Um, and if both players are the types who are just super aggressive, fate the other end of the dirt, neither of you are going to have fun. <laughs> no. Just point blank. Um, whoever gets ahead in the war might get some grim sort of satisfaction out of, oh, I slowed him down more. But it's just, the, the game doesn't really feel like it's designed to sustain that much fate power, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, uh, uh, it, on the one hand, yeah, it's important to slow some characters down. Uh, hilariously, Maleficent again, uh, really needs to be kind of controlled a little bit but at the same time uh we all know the story we've seen uh, the anecdotes of ursula who's neither fun to play or to play against uh because of just how degenerate her fate strategy ends up being and how easy it is for her to pull it off yeah um, i can I just, reveal I, you with the tales of my two-hour game between jafar ursula and cruella yeah yeah, that's stuff like that. Yeah, that's the stuff we don't want to see. Um, but they said that is the consequence you get when you get into situations where you're fading too much. Uh, is you just drag the game out and make it worse and worse. And by the end, you both just want to flip the table and give up and never play the game again. Because, like, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, seriously. There's no worse feeling than being a Scar with nothing but Hakuna Matatas. Or Hades and nothing but lightning bolts. Like, it's miserable. <laughs> it's not fun. As someone who's been on that end plenty of times, learning Scar, oh my god. Because um, I, I think one of the things with this game, when I play it, is that the fun stuff to do is, like, pulling off the moves to... Play, like, play a bunch of allies or gain a bunch of power or do like a combo swing to get like go towards your objective. And the game's kind of designed where the fate spots, like there's one fate spot that's like generally like there to help like give you support while the other one's actually just trying to move you towards your goal just a smidge more. Um, 
Because, like, Hades is the perfect example where he's got Thebes, where it's just, like, one of the typical fate locations in the game, while his other one is like, oh, we got a move spot to move a Titan. You know, I don't think the game is really built around you focusing on those locations to keep going forward. But at the same time, it's like, well, I need to slow my opponent down. But how often should I be doing that, but as well as trying to achieve my own objective? Because I think when there's too much fading, it can last a while. But then here's the thing. So I've been playing against our friend Zachary more here. And I've been a little bit more aggressive with him because he is a much aggressive fader than most people I've played against. And um, it could sometimes be a little exciting if, if it's done correctly. Um, I wouldn't mind, Zachary, if you kind of went into more of like, if like even you could talk about some of the games that you and I have played, um, where the 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 fading is almost like every, almost every turn or every two turns, it's a little crazy. Uh, is there a specific game you want me to talk about? Um, we can talk about the games we just did. Um, we could talk about Prince John versus Scar. I think that's a good example. Um, so in that game, Scar faded me heavily in the early game. Um. Let's see. Yeah, he got some lucky fate draws, which is why I think fading earlier is generally a good strategy. He got um, Little John early, which definitely cut my power. And he got Robin Hood, like, fate three or four, I think. So, but really the value of fading early is choosing which spots to cover. And if you, and if you cover the opposing party's fate tiles, you can do a lot of damage in terms of... Uh, sort of pushing the fate war in your direction. Yeah, something to bring up too, because I was realizing this, is that in a lot of games I played against Prince John, I, I and you've actually taught me this a little bit, so I gotta thank you, that fading Prince John early is better, because you have to, it's, it's kind of funny where Prince John's whole game is to set up an engine to make a lot of power, but you're actually trying to counter the engine he's making by building your own engine to stop him. Um, but you have to be willing to build the engine first, and literally, that's by just placing heroes out on the board and then hoping you draw Robin Hood and maybe Little John or some Steel from the Riches. And even if they have to defeat, they're going to be spending power to put allies out on the board. Um, but you have to be willing to go do that because, like you said, through three or four fates early game, that's like eight cards through your fate deck, you know, that I have to cycle through and make decisions about, you know, and that's a 15 card deck usually. Um, and especially for Scar, that's not necessarily always the best case scenario. Um, I do want to talk my, about the Gotham. The next game we played where it was Gotham and Radigan, and I didn't fate nearly enough, and Radigan just stopped me. Well, I've been circulating. I want to talk about. I've been circulating hashtag fate the rat for how long now? Yeah, <laughs> for a long time. That that needs to that needs to be its own meme. We need to go have someone generate the meme for us, and then we can use it. Seriously. But uh, if you want to go ahead and talk about that match, Zachary, I, w I wouldn't mind diving into that one a little bit because it's pretty. it yeah, was pretty so, obvious that me not fading enough in that game destroyed me. Well, that was partly by design. See, the value of aggressively fading early is that you can actually mitigate the fate war in the long run by crippling your opponent. The reason that Gothel couldn't fate me so much is because I prioritized covering the tower, which left him with his other fate spot, Corona, which is much, much weaker. I was sort of nudging him to not fate me in order to get a huge advantage in the early game, and in the late game, I hardly faded him at all. No. It was, it was, because literally what ended up happening was that I, 
I had some plays in order to do stuff with Gothel, but because so much of it is covered by the tower, and the tower's kind of her prime spot, I couldn't really do anything, and I was kind of stuck, because one of the issues I found with Gothel is that if, if there's too many heroes out, she has a hard time defeating effectively, um, even though she's got, like, seven of those stupid palace guards in her deck. Um, but it's, it's, it's a tough situation because, you know... Let's say you're playing against someone who's casual, okay? Someone who's first played the game for the first time. How do you want to teach them to play the game? Do you want to teach them to play the game super fate heavy and be really aggressive? Or do you want to be a little less on it and let them kind of figure out all the tools? You know, it's it's a tough thing to swallow. I don't know how, I don't know how you folks feel about that. Because I wouldn't necessarily introduce introduce this game to somebody and then still wipe the floor with them with fading to the point where they can't do anything. I just couldn't do that to myself. I feel bad. Well, naturally, because, uh, like I said, it all comes back down to are the players having fun? And if you try to go up and just be this hyper-aggressive fate player against somebody who either doesn't know what they're doing or maybe playing it a bit more casually you know you're just that's not fun for either of you quite honestly um what is it what about you uh, what about you zachary what do you think about that so i agree for a new player you shouldn't teach them to fate heavily but it's for a little different reasoning and the reasoning is that fading other players requires a lot more knowledge than playing your own deck because you have to understand their objective and how their fate deck works whereas um, you only need to understand your objective in order to play your own cards. So if you're dealing with a new player, they need to understand how to play their own deck first before they can really understand how to fade effectively. Yeah. Now here's now this is a really tough question to ask both of you, and I, I hope this I hope this doesn't cause too much controversy. But when when you're playing this game, like what constant what makes it fun for you playing? as a player as well as playing like against somebody like where's that fun sweet spot for you where you feel like you're actually like really enjoying yourself because i i know when i'm enjoying myself when i'm making lots of progress towards my goal but i'm also kind of coasting along with my opponent to the point where i know i'm dealing damage to them against their objective but i'm not like making it so they're being so crippled that they can't lose or they are not lose they can't win I think for me, and it's a shame that I end up playing so many 1v1 games, uh, but the most fun I seem to have with this game are the ones where there's just like three or four people all playing, and everybody else is all up in arms with each other, and I'm just kind of coasting along underneath, and then make that one two-turn combo to win. Like, just come out of nowhere with it. Uh, probably the reason I like Facilier so much is he can just win. Yeah. Win at his leisure. Uh, that's probably it for me is just coasting under the radar and then oh wait I won sorry guys <laughs> sorry you were all being social trying to figure out a debate on who to fate next and I'm just like oops boop I win pretty much yeah. <laughs> what about you Zachary what, what, what is the fun spot for you mm, the fun spot for me is a spot where I could I would say the fun spot is the spot where I'm winning and no one else has a chance of winning. And I try to get to that spot as quickly as possible. But, you know, and that's that's an interesting point because, um, you know, with what Ditto's talking about, 
A four-player game, I mean, what? Depends on how casually you're playing it. Probably takes, like, maybe an hour, hour and a half, you know? Unless you're all playing super competitive. And being honestly, I don't play competitive villainous at three or four players. I usually play it with a bunch of friends and we're having fun and making horrible jokes as we do so. Um, but if you're playing 1v1, I can understand that because I enjoy playing villainous matches when they take under 20 minutes. And the way that you do that is literally by what you said right there, Zachary, is making sure that they can't... They, they You get to a point where you kind of set the, you set the line where they can't advance anymore towards your goal, but it hasn't taken, like, an hour to do. Because no one likes long games. I think we can all agree on that. Well, I may be the odd one out in the whole community for this, but I actually do kind of enjoy longer games sometimes. Really? Uh, what, what if only for the comical... To, well, and it, uh, it goes back to that Cruella Pete game we've, we played. Uh, I don't know if it's actually up on the channel yet. It will but, be up in two uh, weeks. <laughs> as frustrating as it was in the moment, that like when you when looking back on it, like like hindsight, it was comical. How, oh, it was how, funny. Like, the salt that, that it was created wrong. was hilarious. Like uh, I might have been getting really salty, but it was it was for funds. It was. For it was like that. That's probably one of my uh, second favorite thing uh, in this game is just watching those situations set themselves up. Uh, where it's just neither of you seem like you're getting anywhere, and it's just a comedy of errors almost. <laughs> so let me get this straight. So what you're telling me is that the next time we play, I just we both need to play Ursula. We gotta play an Ursula mirror match, <laughs> and we just want to sit there for about two hours, just wondering when someone's just gonna say, "All right, I'm done. <laughs> just gonna flip the table now. I quit." <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty stubborn person, so no. No, but, uh, you know, I, I get that though. I mean, cause one of the things I've noticed when I played with like three or four people is that part of it is the social aspect of the game where fading isn't, is more of like, Hey, let's point fingers at somebody and like, Oh, because they said some stupid thing five minutes ago, we need to all go fate them. I'm always the target of that. Um, in my games that I play and then I end up getting faded too much. Um, and then I'm like, Oh no, I got three Hakuna Matatas and a stick. I guess it's almost like we have like two completely gr different groups of people. If I if I'm getting at this correctly, there really are. There's two different types of people in this game. There are the ones that are the super competitive, you know, fate every turn, uh, go to win guys that are just playing it for the satisfaction of the win. And then there's the ones who enjoy it for the social aspect. You know, hey, it's a Disney board game. Let's just have a good time with it, kind of people. Gotcha. I'm not saying there's not really any overlap there because I'm one of the most competitive people I know. Uh, but it just feels like they really kind of fit themselves into those silos, if that makes sense. Yeah. Zachary, it doesn't sound like... Do you enjoy the casual side of the game more or do you actually prefer the more competitive side of the game? Uh, I enjoy anyone who plays with me. I mean, I've played with people who are more casual... And I do enjoy that. I think the dichotomy has more to do with the nature of the game itself. Most of the game is very much solitaire. You're playing, trying to achieve your own objective. And the fate aspect is the only aspect of the game that actually directly interacts with other people. So there are some people who are more, who find more enjoyment in sort of, you know, figuring out their engine, what their cards do in achieving an objective. And other people who are looking more for that competitive, you know, them trying to triumph over everyone else kind of victory. And I enjoy both aspects. 
I got you. Yeah, that's what that's I, where I am too. I and like I, I just had this thought. Go for it. And I'm a little curious, uh, Zach. Have you played yes. other uh, TCGs before? Um, I played like Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid, but I haven't played anything in more than a decade. Hmm. Because what I've ri- what you said about that and bringing it up as like the only method of interaction, I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with it too. Like people who are used to playing other card games like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or something, coming to this and wanting to find, okay, how can I completely overwhelm my opponent like in these other games? Like you're used to having that sort of really close interaction with each other, and then you get to this, and it's like, oh, this is just solitaire. <laughs> yeah, I was, And so uh, that kind of breeds that uh, tendency to fate more aggressively just because you feel like you're actually playing the game that way? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought because this is this game's very unique where in theory you if you, you could you could basically play the game by yourself and not really have any interaction with your fate deck at all. Like even with um with other characters that like interact with their fate decks, it's really not even that big of a deal. It's like how do I move around my board, gain power, play a card to go do this thing and then um that, you know, all that stuff. Um, is it funny that you bring up the TCG thing? Because actually the other day, I um, I went to my local game store, believe it or not. And I, I, I was used to be super into the Dragon Ball Super TCG. Still kind of am. And I, um, I, I went and was like, they were getting rid of all their booster boxes. And I bought a bunch of booster boxes, like $500 worth for like 100 bucks. It was insane. And when we were, when my girlfriend and I were opening the packs, I remember when her and I were playing the game, and that game is very interaction with each other heavy. Like, that's just how you have to play that game. You're literally trying to take out the other person's character with your little mini characters and such. And it made me realize that really this game, you really just, you're, you're really interacting with your own realm, and the opponent's only way of doing that is with the fake cards. And, but in theory, if they didn't want to, you could just play a speed game against two people, like, turn by turn, who makes the best critical decisions with the cards in their hand, and not even fate. You know what I mean? Like, it could also be that speed game. It could be. Uh, that really boils down a lot to, uh, I, I guess, the players themselves, because, um, I, I think, like, that's typically how I try to play, uh, is the speed game and just not, draw too much attention to myself but i mean when most of the games you play are 1v1s you kind of can't help it (laughs) at the same time yeah um but no totally Uh, i prefer the concept of the speed game and just how fast can i win versus how fast can i make you not win yeah (laughs) i'm almost curious if like you know if we played a game against each other and we decided like no fading allowed and if someone played ursula how fast would Ursula win against the rest of the cast? You know what I mean? I mean, if you take Faye out of the equation, she'd actually be pretty quick. Yeah, because that, that's what my thought, because I was thinking about this with Ursula the other day, where, like, I honestly, the way she wants to play is fast, but just the way that her board, her board and everything is set up, she's not really meant to do that. So it's like... Well, I mean, if we're going for speed, then I, I'll, I call Maleficent. Yeah. Maleficent is incredibly fast. Evil Queen is incredibly fast. Facilier is incredibly fast. 
Um, but again, all three of those are ones where if they get faded super aggressively throughout the course of the game, you know, there's no hope. Yeah. But like, and then it's like that balance of like, am I fading? It like, if I'm fading too much and all that stuff, it's, it's a, it's a yeah, weird evil battle. queen has a particular, uh, issue in that regard and that she's the only one that has a lock location to start off with. Yeah. She, she's a, so not having access to that second fate spot makes her particularly, uh, I guess, weak to just being overfaded. That's why you gotta fade the queen, and that's why you gotta fade the rat. Yeah, the rat's a different problem. Ha- hashtag fade the rat. <laughs> we 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 seriously need that. Well, the, the we thing really with do. evil fading <laughs> evil queen though is that. Evil Queen, even when I've, like, played against Evil Queen and I've aggressively faded her, like, well, literally heroed every location, put a pickaxe on Snow White. Now, granted, this might be just a problem with Evil Queen. Um, but even with that being said, some characters can just get around that stuff really, really well. Like, they, just, they have really good ways of getting around that garbage really fast. Which is, I think, another another topic in itself, but it's like... I don't know. It's it's a weird thing to discuss. Well, I mean, from the very inception of the game, I think we kind of all came to the realization that not all fate decks are created equal. Yeah, and it might be um, like that on purpose. There, there are certain characters whose fate decks positively shut them down. Uh, cough, Hades. Yeah. Uh, and then there are other ones where and where, where it's just like their fate decks. I mean, they're an annoyance, but. Eh. And for the most part, like, failing some disaster, I actually think Evil Queen is one of the better ones suited to handling her own fate debt. Um, and then probably Hook would be the other one. Yeah. Where they're, they're the fate decks and the heroes in there are just not that big a deal for them to deal with. No. Not like something with Hades where he... It just has a hard time dealing with anything. Yeah, because the, the heroes um, in there are so strong against what he's trying to do. Um, which is actually a really good transition in topics here. We're actually going to be switching up guests here mid-show. Believe it or not, the first time we're doing this. Uh, thank you, Zachary, <laughs> for coming in and talking with us. You you gave us some good hints. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on the show again, but I know you do actually have to get going in class. So. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, friend. Take it easy. See you All right. Now, next up here, we have our friend Stuntman. Hello, Stuntman. Hello, hello. How's it going? Good. Now, I must know, do you do your own stunts? I always do my own stunts, of course. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you do your own stunts. Um, now, do the stunts involve, like, doing card tricks and doing cartwheels while doing card tricks? And like, uh, of course, of course. Are, are you gambit? Card tricks. Are you secretly gambit? <laughs> are you the no. raging Cajun? I swear to God, if we don't get gambit yes, in Marvel, is, I am actually gambit in disguise. I'm sorry. Um, but um, you've caught me. But anyway, so we want to transition topic to you, my friend Stuntman, because you actually brought up a great point with me when we were talking earlier. Is about the the fate decks themselves and how. And Ditto just actually brought this up. How the fate decks are not necessarily built all to be equal. I want you to kind of go. Um, I want you to go into that a little bit more with us here, friend. 
Yeah, so basically, my main point was um, exactly what you said. All fade decks are not all created equal, and I'm mainly talking about when um, you or your opponent is sitting on your win con. Um, generally speaking, with opponents or with villains that have to start their turn doing something, which is most of them, not every single one, but there are a heavy number that have to start their turn, um, you know, with whatever objective. Uh, um, that is you know, a you discussion got, for a whole other episode, probably. Yeah. Uh, the dichotomy of start your turn versus instant wins. Yeah. Right, right. But my, I understand that. But my main point was basically, uh, like you say, not all fake decks are created equal. So you've got uh, villains like, Jif- or not Jafar, Hades. You have, uh, I think you have seven out of your 15, or six, six out of your 15 fate cards can literally stop you from winning the game. So that's almost a 50% chance, if you're sitting on your win con, that you're going to have to at least spend another turn trying to fix that. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Well, obviously, you've got, you've got things like Scar with Hakuna Matatas, uh, which there's only three of them. But at the same time, once you get down to your win con, you only have at most 11 of your fate cards left. So three of them being Hakuna Matata. And then, you know, three. So you got a three out of 11 chance of not winning that turn. It's a hard hard risk reward when I play Scar because literally when I know that's what's coming up, I'm like, all right, I'm counting cards. I'm literally going to either have to force them to fate me and just hope to gone, or, or I can I can breathe a sigh of relief. You have an injustice in your hand. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky situation because you know it's funny that you bring up Hades because I've been playing a lot against Jafar recently, and it's weird because even though Jafar has more steps, once he gets the genie for that half of the condition, and technically once he even gets the lamp to the palace. Sure, you have the instant stops where with like a Aladdin and a Boo, but even then, it's like once Genie's hit that's, the guy, that's that's just it. That's all he has. Once he reaches his wing con, all the only thing that can stop Jafar is Abu or Aladdin. Right. And if you if you hypnotize them throughout the game, I mean, you that's it. You've won. And you don't, don't even have to come back to your turn unless someone else is going to hit their wing con. It's 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 really. Yeah, it's. I, I didn't really think about that till you mentioned with, with it me, and now it's it's interesting to kind of measure out all those different fate decks to kind of see what those killer cards are, you know? Because everyone does have them to an extent, but it's like how many of them are there, and how what the the actual brutality of the cards are. Yeah, and a lot of them, especially with the you know the not with the instant win heroes, you know it's it's very situational, and you can you generally can tell you know when the game is coming to an end. When you know you can you can tell like okay next turn, you know uh, Doctor Faciller, I don't know how to say the guy's name. Okay. Um, never seen the movie, but uh, you can tell when he's when he's going to play the cards. Will tell you know so you can kind of take steps to do something about that. Um, Pete is one of the ones that I've actually had a super hard time with, obviously, because his all his objectives are hidden. And even though you know, you know, there's only five. So once you get familiar with them, you know which ones are out and which ones aren't. But it's hard to stop it. Yeah. Obviously, Mickey Mouse can stop him. 
Pete's an interesting beast on that front, and again, we can talk about this uh, in depth another time. But he is what I like to term an honorary start your turn villain, um, because on paper his objective can be finished immediately. But what four out of the five goals are start your turns? It's three, I think. Or is it three? Yeah, it's three of them. Two of the two because it's the it's spend yeah. money and um, play a game of the ones that are play game, yeah, yeah. But three out of the five. And those are the two easiest ones to finish, so... Yeah. More than likely, you're going to be sitting on a start your turn at the end anyway, and, I mean, it's just the worst. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You pull out, you know, you pull out Mickey Mouse, and... It's a sad day. You pull, out, you pull out Goofy right at the end, like... It's and miserable. one of the worst ones i found for him, actually, is Not Silly. Oh, because yeah, it, goes, it hurts so many of his objectives. Yeah, Knox Lily is pretty unfortunate uh, if you get a lucky pull. Uh, the um, first couple times my wife and I played that one, like we, I, I ignored the card and I was like, "This card sucks." Like, whatever, I don't care about discarding her cards right now. But then we played some more, and I was like, "Okay, no, this is a really good card that I completely underestimated when we first started." No doubt, because I think the last time I played Pete, and it was actually an IRL game. Um, was I was down to the play a game condition and I couldn't win because they kept hitting not sillies. <laughs> I just couldn't couldn't get the draws. Ouch. Ugh. Yeah, it was rough. Oh man, fade decks are brutal. I, I. Well, not all of them. Well, not uh, all of them. What are the non-brutal ones? Uh, I Jafar isn't uh, bad. Jafar's is not bad. Uh, um, is not that bad because he can deal with most of them. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to feel that the Queen of Hearts' fate deck isn't that bad. It's annoying, but if you get lucky with pulling the Tweedle Brothers out early, uh, most of the heroes are manageable, and she can she, always shrink somebody out of the way. So she's one of those ones that also she only has two cards in her. Uh, well, I guess three technically, because one of them has two copies that will end her game once she's at her win con, and you know, gonna gonna take the shot next turn or misses or take the shot. Yeah. Um, it's the the move an ally and then the check it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else just slows her down. Um, Evil Queen. As bad as her fate deck is for her, she has more than enough tools to just blow past him. I think. Yeah. Uh, that's that's definitely save up power for a couple turns, turn it all into poison. Next thing you know, you got a pile of dead wards over in the corner. I've literally seen so many games where it's like it's literally even if you got all the freaking knuckleheads out on the board, Evil Queen's got so much poison in the pot. Where as long as Doc's yeah. not a threat, you can just go over a murder Snow White. Doesn't matter. Evil Queen to me is like the equivalent of playing a blue deck in Magic the Gathering. You're right. You're right. So much, and you can dig. I mean, I've literally watched my wife dig through half of the deck in a single turn. Yeah, you're completely correct. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, as a non-magic player, I have to ask: What is the concept of blue? Control terms. Uh, The easiest way to explain, explain blue is control. Okay, it's a control deck. Okay. Yeah, blue is the mill, the uh, the draw cards, the cycling, mm-hmm. that entire sphere of the game. I get uh, As a blue-black player myself, yeah. It's funny because uh, in Dragon Ball, the control decks, I believe, are green. 
Someone can correct me on that if the or if the game's completely changed, but I believe the control decks are green because they're all about just like controlling the state of the the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's blue. Yeah, that's blue in a nutshell. I got you. Okay. Um, huh. I got yeah, it's you. A, it's a, it, it feels like it feels like that playing against Evil Queen. And it really can be because if you got the tones and jealousy and. Thunderbolts, Black the Thunderbolts, yeah. like there's almost no stopping her, which is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, she's it's one it's of the early, like she's like the oldest of the actual movie villains, so makes sense that she'd be unstoppable. I don't like it. <laughs> I wish Scar would be the winner. Uh, far, uh, far as the rest of the not so bad fate decks, I don't think Yzma's fate deck is that bad against her. No, it's on really paper. not. The, um, the one card she really has is on the run. Yeah, on the run's the most brutal. Card. On the run and the two kids. The kids aren't the really that so bad easy once you can manage with. where they are. But like to me, because the most brutal thing about on the run is the fact that once the fader knows where that card is, um, they they can play it. As they it they can play out. it when they need to. Yeah. Because unless because I also realized this too, um, when Yzma pulls out a hero. They can choose whether or not to shuffle stuff, right? Because, like, let's say you got Pacha, right? Pacha comes out. You can choose whether or not to activate his ability. So, if you know where on the run is and you can't hammer it out, you could do that. Am I not potentially? Mistaken? Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. You, it says you may shuffle the decks together. Yeah, yeah. You're playing, All those you're playing the heroes' effects location. Are... So, in theory, yeah. you yeah. can do that. Um. Yeah, just like the scar, you don't have to, you know, discard a, a hyena yeah. when you play uh, Sarami or whatever. Yeah, I think she's on the weaker fate deck side, which is balanced by her main deck also being kind of weak, in my opinion. Wow. Uh, just in general. Uh, and then, as far as the new set, I think Gothel is probably the least disruptive of the fate decks. Oh yeah, it definitely is. Uh, and that is coming from a lot, seeing as Gothel is still hard to play anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think the reason why Gothel is honestly good is because her fate deck is not that brutal against her. I don't think necessarily, like, her deck is fun to play with in terms of her villain deck, but, like, it's not... As me playing more Gothel, I've re learned that it's not as fast as I thought it was, but it's just really fun and satisfying to pull combo stuff well, off with Trust. It, def but, it but definitely is. I completely agree not with that. Brutal at and... The funny thing is, it can be as fast as you thought it was. Right. There are a lot of situations where you can easily get two, three, four trust in a turn. Oh, yeah. Uh, consistently. While any opponent who try to fate you is maybe going to take one off here and there. Yeah. Well, that just is. She only has... I mean, she has a few cards that will like will stop her win con, but like Flynn, you know, you get it back when he's defeated. So, I mean, he really doesn't do much of anything to me. Because I mean, her, she can deal with heroes really easily in her deck. Eh. No. Eh. Well, I find, really I find that got I can deal with heroes. 100,000 guards. She's got the Stabbingtons that you can just move into killing position once you've used them up. That's the problem. She's though, got the writers. Well, as me playing more Gothel, I've realized that when you play the allies out, you have to try to utilize them to their fullest extent. Because do you really want to waste a Stabbington boy on killing a two-cost guy? 
Unless, even if it's going to net you a single trust by maybe using Revenge or using the Crown or something like that, I just... It's more of like her issue with the allies is that making sure that they're being resourceful rather than just being fodder to kill stuff. And sometimes you might need to um, do that, but it's still tough. Right. You also got you, you do have two what wants us mines though, so you can put things back into your hand. Yeah. Which is super yeah, useful. With correct the me if I'm wrong, but there's only like two heroes in her deck that are actually like higher than four. Right. It's just Rapunzel and Flynn. And the king and, queen. Um, and the king and queen. The king and queen. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that's still three out of fifteen. I mean, with the one, what once was mines, I think you can afford to burn a Stabbington here and there, just to help clear up some space. Because I definitely do think those play actions are important for her combo potential. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. You want to keep mm -hmm. them alive to be able to play stuff and gain money, like make it worth going to a space to gain two or three money, and then be able to play your cards that you need. Because most of the stuff is, is rather inexpensive. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, if you can use a Stabbington to reset Rapunzel and get him to kill something, then they've done pretty much everything you can ask him for. Oh, yeah. They've done their job. <laughs> for um, sure. Now, was it most brutal? So, was it Hades? Hades. Hades will always be the most brutal fate deck. Yeah. Always. Just yeah, because between so the Lightning Bolts and the Hera and the Zeus and the Hercules and the... Ugh, See, to me, I know this is may not be a uh, normal opinion, but Zeus is not a bad card to me. No. He's there's, there's not a lot of work around and Hercules, honestly. Um, Hercules both are not that bad for me, personally. It, here's the deal. No, they're not that bad, and yes, they're easy to deal with. But... <laughs> Haiti, or I don't know is how many actually, so if, if, if you're playing against someone that's especially that's not experienced they're going to put Zeus and Hercules they're not going to put Zeus uh, to Mount Olympus where he belongs and they're probably not going to put Hercules where he belongs either they're going to put him somewhere in the middle to try and either cover up like a fate action or uh, something else I know his fate oh. is on Mount Olympus sorry um, they'll put them in the gardens or something like Here's that. And then you can just jump over them with the uh, ready to rumble. Let's rumble, yeah. Hades' fate deck on paper is not really that bad. It's the fact that his main deck has almost nothing that really helps him along. That any sort of detriment that gets thrown his way is a huge issue for him. Uh, I don't know. I feel like if you've seen the or way the worse rant, than any of his heroes. But uh, of the thirty cards in his villain deck, there are three that help him move titans, and they're all get ready to rumbles. They argue the chariot, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't even bother thinking yeah. about the chariot anymore when I play Hades. Yeah, the chariot doesn't. I don't. I never get to use the chariot, so I don't care. Right. The chariot. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Um. So Hades has nothing in his set that really helps him make up for something like a Zeus in the way. Yeah, you can scoot him over to the underworld with rage or something, but do you really want to be relying on a condition for something like that? No. You just. No. It just it. As not bad as it looks on paper, he does not have the tools he needs to deal with it like someone, say, Evil Queen or Hook do. Not Absolutely. in a way that uh, actually sets him up for su success, because the amount he'd have to invest in dealing with these characters 
or the situational nature of how he does it is just not reliable for him. I think the biggest thing with Hades in particular is that so his he doesn't have a lot he in theory has a lot of allies, but he doesn't. Because you're playing these really expensive Titans out on the board that you need in order to win. They also can be used to defeat heroes. But the problem is that are you really gonna spend three power to move a Titan that starts from the underworld? Move them to a location to go take out Phil. Are you really going to do that? Or like at the very least, are you going to bother spending for the mortality potion and not even lose them? And that's the thing is that I kind of like, treat the mortality potion as like an ally because, but at the same time, it's just it's so expensive, and you're also in in the process trying to move the Titans to Olympus as well as trying to protect the the. It's just crap. his entire style almost as if contradictory they, they itself. To, it's almost as if they were trying to make it where you discarded the Titans at first and then dug back through your deck to like go find them. Like, well, see, that them. would make sense, and that would be a cool gimmick if anything in his deck let him pull stuff out of the discard pile. Right. He doesn't have that. No. All he has is slowly trudging his way through the deck. He does have the eye rules, you know, which gains you power for. I mean, the eye rule is nice. It, it is nice, later. and then you got the eye the, the eye fades, and that's the only reason I was saying that it, it kind of looks like it almost appears as if they were trying to get you to use the titans and then either get them back or maybe I mean, they more definitely maybe they more yeah. lower cost ones. But they're definitely true to the movie about it being an eighteen year plan because. Oh boy! Jesus. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, no joke. Um, we can go on about Hades. Um, I know, I know. Ditto's very salty right. about Hades not being as good as he should be. Oh, I was waiting for so long for Hades to show up, and then this is what I get. This is what it culminates in. I'm sorry, that James it's so bad. Live up to your expectations. Um, as far oh, as other really very satisfying when you do get a Hades win. Oh, it is. Oh, it's it's beautiful. nice. I love it. But um. Other really bad fate decks. Uh, rats oh, is pretty bad. Yeah, rats is pretty good. Um, Maleficent, you kind of don't want to get hit too badly. Uh, I think Pete's is honestly up there. It's up there, but I don't just think because it's worst. it never really feels like you end up with a dead fate draw with Pete. Like there's always something you can do. Yeah. It's not like breaking, um, but it does. There's some things no. in there that you can pull some some devastating stuff off with. No, I think Hades is by far the only one that just really feels off from a too powerful position. What about uh, what about our favorite favorite person in the world, Ursula? See, she has the same thing I was kind of describing with Hades earlier, where her or with Isma, where. Her fate deck only looks bad because the rest of her deck is also really bad by comparison. Yeah. Um. I will admit, Ariel plus like three return to forms is miserable. Oh, it's horrible. But I don't know that she has that many issues with much else because Ursula's 
fate deck for the most part the heroes once they've hit the board they don't really do anything besides sit there and if there's one thing ursula has over the rest of the cast is her ability to just shunt heroes off wherever she wants them i learned mm -hmm. this today so as soon as er the heroes hit the board you can just whirlpool them off to the sh uh, shore or something and just leave them there because they're not going to do anything let me explain to you Ariel a game that i had today i literally <laughs> had it where every single hero was on the board at the shore except for king triton i was searching for the triton hard because ariel got played by force and i had not played the crown i played the crown asap and literally if i were just able to draw the damn crown i would have won the game but no it had yeah. to be the third to last card in my deck and yeah, it's like, if like, it weren't for something like that, that's actually, like, the optimal setup for Ursula, as she is now. Um, you want to get all the heroes out early and shove them away somewhere where they're just not going to get in your way. Okay. Just let them be. Because it's too much trouble for her to go out of her way to try to contract anybody specific to kill them besides Triton. Um, if you're lucky and Ariel comes out early uh, before you get either of the items, then you're set. Because... Once Ariel's on the board, she can't steal it from there. No. So if she's the first one out of the three that gets played, you know, you're golden. You can basically win at your leisure. Yeah, but you have to gamble for that though. That's the problem too. You can't you can't you can't set up yourself to hope that that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Cuz like and anyone anyone who's experienced isn't going to play Ariel unless they have to, obviously. Right. You know, if you got another card you can play, you know, let's say you get a Well, and this you know. is where um, kind of the uh, social aspect of the game comes in. Because if you ask me, one of the most interesting strategies with Ursula is to actually abuse the Degenerate Fate stuff exclusively to make yourself a bigger target. Because if you can get yourself faded to the point where everything's out of your way and you're not killing anything, so return to form doesn't matter... Um, you could actually set yourself up in an okay spot. <laughs> God, we found the strap. Am I wrong, everybody? <laughs> Just like actually make yourself a target, and you might be able to win. Dear God, the fact that we have because to it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh my goodness, this, I'm totally right. It doesn't matter what items they put on Triton before the Triton comes out because he gets replayed anyway. Right. right. Oh my goodness. I've solved it. I've solved Ursula, guys. <laughs> oh my god. Oh no. We did it. You win Ursula Problem by solved. making yourself a target. <laughs> oh my god. Now how do we do that in a 1v1 game? I mean, play against Zachary. Problem yeah, I solved. <laughs> I, I almost won against his Corolla with Ursula, so... Believe it or not. And, it all, and the match was only about 20 minutes long. So... It did its time. Oh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I think that's super brutal at the top of my head. I would say, I don't know, if, have y'all mentioned Maleficent yet? Yeah, yeah, Maleficent's pretty brutal. It, Maleficent's is brutal in that it's super reactionary. Um, you can ignore her fate deck for the most part until she's got the curses, and then slap right. her, and who knows what's going to come out. Right. You could end up... We were playing a game earlier, me and my wife, and uh, you know I got King Stefan out, and boom, those two curses gone. Yeah, like, you know, or Fauna, or Meriwether, Meriwether or, 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 or play something else out, or 
uh, Once Upon a Dream or anything like that. Like, okay. she's got so much stuff that just you can fake her once and her entire plan has fallen apart. The thing that's okay. interesting about Maleficent, though, is that with her, like what you said, it's reactionary. Like, if you play some of those cards early, you're automatically losing the ability to get rid of curses. Because let's say that you played like Aurora, you know, or even play Kings. Uh, Kings to Five would be a worse scenario, but you play those guys out early. They aren't getting played again for a while because they're going to stay out there. And that still means you can play cards like Greenfire or the, was it, Thing of Thorns, whatever the hell it's called. And it's not going to take any effect, you know? Right. Um, so if you fade too early, you're setting yourself up for not be able to do stuff down the road, you know? Yeah, and that that is probably my biggest issue with the super early game heavy aggressive fading strategy. Because you're going to fate yourself past stuff that you need later. You're going to fate yourself past Radigan's Balloon. You're going to fate yourself past King Stefan, or you're going to fate yourself past our, uh, Ariel. And all of a sudden, you don't have those tools when you really need them later. Yeah, I, um, because I, I'm, in, since I've been trying to take up this a little bit more of aggressive fate strategy for when I'm trying to do a little bit more competitive play, I've noticed that if I try to get too at it too early, it, it sets yourself up for failure, but it kind of really depends on who you're playing. But then it also kind of screws you up because, like, if I'm playing Scar, you know, if I'm doing it early, and let's say I'm trying to fate, you know, twice out of the first three turns, you know, I'm gonna, ha I'm probably gonna have to go to the gorge when there's nothing out on my board, or with any ability to kill anything. So I'm wasting an action, you know. It's, but at the same time, it's like you might have to depending on the character. You know, like Prince Brown yeah. is probably the prime yeah. example of you're gonna have to fate him early in order to get anywhere. Like he's the per he's the perfect yeah. example, proof on paper. And Pr Prince John is the one exception, I think, so far to that rule. Where, yeah, you kind of do have to hit him hard fast. But that's because minus... You can't just let Prince John sit there and do his thing. Yeah, you can't just let him set up on you. Yep. And yeah. minus Steal from the Rich, there's not a lot of cards in his Fate deck that are like just instant dead draws. That's true. Yeah. Early on. Clear um, Disguise, I mean... Um, yeah. There's the six out of his fifteen that are early on. If there's no, if there's no heroes, yeah, they're dead. But the, my issue is, even if you do fate him early, that there's nothing that feels worse than getting nothing but like Skippy and Toby and Marion and all the, like all the heroes you don't want to kill, and just cloister away in the jail and then have him tax you to death. And yeah, then mm -hmm. the issue is, is that if he, yeah, because I was gonna say if he moves him to the jail, that's uh, game over. Because it's just as easy. Like it's good, and Zachary said this earlier. It's good to try to do it to cover up vital actions, but Prince John is really capable of just okay. Let's put them somewhere where they don't matter and profit. <laughs> so he's defense man. Like he turns he turns the one counter strategy against him into a good. <laughs> That's his whole gamut. And Radigan's kind of the same way, and that's that's why I don't feel like Radigan's fate deck is is actually that brutal because, well, I mean, he's got yeah, you know, he's got the traps, and he's got he's got a lot of ways to deal he with does, heroes. But the fate deck has call for help. Let me let me put it this way: as someone who's played a lot of Rat, all right, because Radigan used to be one of my main boys. I think the biggest issue with the fate deck against Radigan. Is that there's all I in my opinion, 
the deck doesn't get horrible until you either play the Mouse Queen or you have the Robot Queen out, and then the opponent is trying to search for um, Basil. Because there's two things that can happen. Is that Basil gets played early, and then you can kind of almost ignore Basil being out there. But at the same time, then you have to be a little wary of, all right, what cards in my Fate deck allow the the Fading player to move Basil to the Robot Queen's location? I have to be a little weary of that. Um, but then the Which actually got ways to set up where you know, for example, let's say they're trying to find... Um, they're trying to find Basil. If you kill Basil early, if he gets played early, then you don't have to worry about him because it's going to take a while for them to or make sure that all they have to do is get a call for help in order to play him out. And there's only two cards of that. So you can kind of set yourself up for like situations where like, oh, if I have the bell, I use the cat to kill Basil. I can get the cat back in my hand. So if they get Basil back out, take care of my queen, I can go basically kill Basil on a turn. It won't. It won't take. Yeah, away. and that's that's something I've noticed while playing Radigan is the fates can actually help him, especially when you if the if the robot queen does get disc. I find killing Basil way easier than getting the queen. Oh yeah, all the way oh, over. Well, that, but then you get to the people that are like, we have Basil on the board, but we're constantly discarding tools and gears and the robes and everything, so you never get the chance to play the robot queen in the first place. So not only do you not get the chance to do that, but because you never get to play the Robot Queen, you can't discard her to switch to defeat Basil and win. So it's like you get locked down to the just point of non-existence almost. Yeah, you have to be careful because what I've noticed is that I typically play all my items to the the lair, and um, what will happen is that I'll move a hero to the lair so that way they're not taking up an action spot. Then they're just allowed to grab everything at the lair. But then if you spread everything out, then you know it's like it's like okay, then they can play like then they can start playing heroes all over the place to block actions because they want to prepare for those things, but then you're getting more heroes on the board. You know? So it's like uh because then it's like, alright, am I gonna play a hero or am I gonna discard one of your items so you can't play the thing? It's like, I'm not going to play the hero to get rid of the item, so I still have actions. But if I play items all over the place, I'm going to play a hero because I'm going to block more stuff and prepare to discard stuff. You know? it's Even even with Basil out, there's only two other cards in the fate deck that lets you move a hero. Well, well he's, he's got, got two, Call for Help and move, move it around. Two, uh, and then four, well, Call for, four, call four, for Help, I guess, still four. In theory. Yeah, four total, yeah. So yeah. I, I forgot. Like by the by the time you've faded enough to get those cards out, you've probably forced a reshuffle anyway. So right. you've got them all back again. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's very possible playing against Radigan to get Basil out early and just consistently use him to snipe out whatever items you don't want Radigan having. Right. And at that point it's like he can't play the Mouse Queen because what do you think he's gonna save fifteen power forever? Probably not. Not if he's trying to play all the gears. No. Uh, so you snipe his chances of playing the Robot Queen, and because it didn't get discarded from the realm, you can't switch to defeat Basil as your strategy. So and you can't prepare for that either. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's very easy to just lock the rat down to the point of not playing the game. Really. I could say that. Um. I mean. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I also see, I mean, there's he gains power pretty easy too. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He gains pretty power. He gains power relatively he, easily he, because it helps. The he, his two his two fate spots. Oh. Yeah, great screen lines, and then his two fate spots. I mean, one of them doesn't have anything, but it's got the activation, and then the other one has you know the gain one power. I mean, so if you're yeah. you know, if you're counter fading, then. But between the gears and the tools and the captures and the ruffians and all this other stuff you want to be setting up for later, saving 15 power is going to be tough. <laughs> the ruffians you can use for a net gain. I mean, you play the ruffians to the tool shop and you gain one for playing them. Yeah, essentially. You do. But, like, converting ruffians into an activate could be beneficial too yeah yeah absolutely you activate the trap or activate what i mean anything i actually used the uh, uh, two ruffians the other day to uh i was at the toy shop um and moved the queen twice in one turn oh it's beautiful i've done i did that the other day too then jumped then jumped over to the palace and moved her again and yeah that was it i don't know maybe it's something i don't understand about radigan it's 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 weird. Radigan's really weird because with his two goal objective, it's like you need to like as the Radigan player, you're constantly prepping for both of them at the same time, even if you're only going to technically accomplish the first one. But but it's also going to force your opponent to think about where they're placing that stuff because of that, because they know that that's lingering in the background. Because they know that all right, if I got Basil and I got the Robot Queen, even if I take out the or not the Robot Queen, the Mouse Queen, if I take out you know, the robot queen with Basil is my opponent going to be able to win the next turn. You know, they have to think about mm -hmm. those things, you know, um, at the same time as the Radigan player, you got to be thinking about, all right, if they are going to set up for a situation like that, am I prepared for it? It's like, it almost fits with the set theme almost. Um, which is kind of funny. Speaking of that though, if we're going to, if, if you want me to be brutally honest here, and I am also very biased on this. And I think you all know what I'm coming to. I think the most brutal de uh, fade deck in the game is Scars. I would agree yeah, with that. Yeah, his is pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, it's what, it, like, uh, when I tell people that Scar is challenging, it is because his fade deck is so grueling to work against. Um, really like, when you win with Scar, you have earned it. Like, there is no doubt that you sat there and put the time in or, like, I'm playing every defensive move, offensive move the correct way at the right time to make sure that I don't get myself Akuna Matata to death. Like, there are so many things mm -hmm. that you have to figure out with Scar that are, like, not normal. Like, because most of the villains in this game, I would say, are pretty straightforward with, like, what you should use a card for. But with Scar, I'm getting to the point where it's like, I'm playing Long Live the Kings to fish out Akuna Matatas. You know, I'm oh, yeah, absolutely frenzy and actually using it. Like, I know it's no longer a throwaway card. You know, it's that deck is rough. I, I consider myself to be a Scar, man. He's my favorite. Uh, Scar partially just because I love I'm surrounded by partially them. just because I love the Lion King, partially because it's a super it's a super fun deck to play, but it is it's so frustrating to get faded. And I think one of the reasons, at least for me, it's so frustrating to play is because those two spots with the two player cards are so inviting. Yeah. But they don't have fate. There's no other there's no fate. So you can't you're not a lot of at least for me, I don't do a lot of offense. Playing with Scar, I do a lot of just I'm trying to can do my own thing, and that's where I think I mess up. 
That, well, yeah, the Scar real thing with Scar is the fact that you the the opponent's going to want to cover your one fate action first, but then once they cover that, they're covering everything else. And then that is like cuz kind of his whole gimmick is you're supposed to put like a location where it's supposed to be your killing ground. And you don't want your killing ground right. to be the fate location. You really don't. Um, you want it to be somewhere else cuz you want to make sure that that space is open for yourself to kill things cuz you're going to be fishing out heroes. Yeah. With Long Live the King. And I generally use the graveyard. Yeah, you want to try to use the graveyard or the Pride Lands or, if you're like me, anything on the board. Because um, it's, you, it's, there's so many things that you have to think about with Scar. And then on top of Hakuna Matata, you got Rafiki, you got freaking Prophecy, you got the stick. Like, that right there is six cards. And that's not on top of the fact that he has two heroes that are really, have high strengths. And one of them is really detrimental to his whole kind of gimmick where he's got hyenas that just get buffed. Yeah. It's just, ugh. Well, and not only that, you got Nala is actually a very brutal card to me. Oh, yeah. Because when she comes out, if you've got your killing ground set up, then she either you know moves Azur away from it, which buffs all of your heroes that are there, or you know it just separates everything to where you've got to dig back through your deck, find some whispers, play Akunas, move everything back, and or you know feeding frenzies, whatever it is that you get, but you have to. That one card can cause so many different. Like it'll set you back three or four turns sometimes. Yeah, and the worst part too. This happened to me earlier today, where when I was playing Scar against Prince John, I was at the point where I can kill Mufasa with the amount of hyenas I had, but there was no Hakuna Matata in the discard pile, and I had Whisper. So it was like, all right, do I play Long Live the King just to try to fish out a Hakuna Matata into my discard pile, knowing that there's probably going to be some other garbage that's going to screw me over? It's it's rough. Because um, I think, because like, it just, it's, it's not that Scar's deck is bad. It's just that the Fate deck is so grueling against what he's trying to do that even when you compare it to something like Ursula where you got Ariel on those stupid return to forms, you, you can still somewhat get around it, but there's only four cards of that nonsense. Hades, I, you know, I can maybe agree is really up there too, but like, Hades still has the tools to get around it to some extent. Um, you can't necessarily get swarmed to death, in theory, um, unless you literally have every hero out on the board, and then all your effects are just going to take place. Um, hopefully you don't get another, to that point. Another interesting thing about Scar is he's the only uh, villain that has only effects and allies not counting his conditions which everyone has but he doesn't have any items he doesn't have anything special like every other villain in the game has something else some other card type and scar does not and the thing with yeah. the effects too is that they're all towards allies literally is it scar to me feels like one of the most straightforward of the characters they've designed in terms of like it, it's almost I don't want to say it's easy to play Scar, because obviously it's not. But he's the most pick-up-and-go character I think they've designed yet. His objective is, well, Prince John, first off, is the easiest to just conceptually get, okay, collect 20 power. Good. Right. But Scar, yeah, defeating defeating things, it sounds easy. But then compare that to Evil Queen. Her objective, kill Snow White. Yeah, That's all Snow you gotta White, do. Unlock, unlock the cottage and then get Snow White. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But like I, mean, I, I know I, I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, there are there's a lot of other heroes that have the same type of like just defeat, you well, know, defeat and something. And you, I guess, the reason I say that is 
Scar probably has the most cards dedicated explicitly to like pulling off his strategy. Like he doesn't have a bunch of fluff, like secondary gimmicks to him. If that no, makes sense, no, he does not. That's yeah. what makes him tough. And it makes up for his fight deck being so brutal. Yeah, he's got the stuff to do it though. That, that's a conversation I can have for another day. But uh, <laughs> I think we'll. I, I think we. I think we talked for a, a, quite a while. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and start trying to wrap up the show here. But uh, thank thank you folks for joining us on this slightly decisive topic. I know it was a little. A little interesting to kind of talk about. Hopefully, I didn't ma- want to, want any of you to murder each other, um, for the most part. <laughs> no, absolutely, it was great. I, 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 talking about villainous is definitely my favorite board game right now, and so this is this has definitely been a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. No, no worries. I, I I'm glad that you were able to come on. I'm glad Zachary got to join us too. I'm glad Ditto put up with all of our nonsense. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, thank you, Stunt Man, for joining us. I'd love to have you back on again. Um. But uh, totally. I think we'll wrap it up there. What's your final thoughts on th- fading from both of you? Final quick thoughts. We'll start with. Let's start with you, stunt man. Show us some tricks. Uh, definitely think fading is a is a super interesting mechanic in the game, um, as we've already talked about. And it, all fade decks are not created equal. Yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that. Ditto. What's your final thought? Just. It's a very important element of the game, but don't go overboard, guys. You're, no one is going to have fun by just... And I guess it's where this whole conversation started, but no one enjoys the Fate Wars. No. No one can possibly have any fun just fading back and forth like that. It's just, just don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. I will say this from my perspective as someone who's kind of been on both sides as well as it's affected people around me that I play... Make sure that when you're playing this game, that you go into playing this game to have fun with somebody. And like, however you and that other person are going to have fun, make sure that you both know that kind of going in. I know, I know. Like when I play against Ditto, we kind of go in just to have some funsies. And sometimes we'll play a little competitive, but usually we're we're in it to have some stupid moments where I'm about to flip the table because Pete's objective sucks. Um, <laughs> but. I mean, it's still overall, like, if you're going to play competitive, if you're going to play casually, if you're going to play socially, you know, have fun with your friends, or if you're going to play in a tournament, you know, make sure you just kind of go in the mindset that what is your level of fun and make sure that you're ready to do that because the worst thing that you're going to do to yourself in this game, I feel, is that if you go in with the mindset of this is how I want to play the game, but my opponent is going to play completely differently. One of those two are going to conflict and you're not going to have fun. Am I? And I love playing all forms of villainous. But the one thing I always want to make sure that everyone has when I play my games is fun. I think that's yeah. to round up the conversation a little bit. Yeah, um, just absolutely just, agree. Just try to have fun with it, guys. Yeah. If if the game is stressing you out, then it's not worth it. Don't, don't, don't walk do away for a little bit. Yeah. Don't don't hurt your friends playing this game. You know, because you're like, I want to play this way, and then they're stuck playing, and they're stuck with you know. Six heroes out on the board. They can't do anything, and they're just sitting there crying themselves to sleep. Um, don't be that person. Just don't. Um, sometimes it might occasionally happen naturally, um, and you're not trying to do it. But you know, just make sure that hey, give give your friend or whatever a hug or a handshake. Actually, probably don't touch people right now. Um, but uh, but yeah. So all right, friends. We're gonna wrap it up there. Thank you all for enjoying our nonsense. Thank you, Stuntman, for joining us. I appreciate being on the show. 
Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you, Ditto, for always putting out with my nonsense. Um, everyone <laughs> stay nothing. well. Um, and a reminder to end the show, live stream, live podcast show on the 21st. 21st EST time. Mark it down. Yeah, mark it down. We we will talk about it all over our Discord channel, and I'll be tweeting about it like crazy. So sit back. We're gonna be in it for you know two hours of just talking Disney villainous, all tabletop, my life. I don't know. We'll we'll see where we go. Um, but until <laughs> then, everybody, stay wicked and make sure you keep having fun playing villainous. I'll see you folks on the next show.